0: hey, (laughs) y'all, it's good to be home. I love it. I love seeing all y'all's faces, and I follow so many of you on social media, but just to get the hug and the kiss, and it's just so wonderful. Did I hear that there is an Alyssa from Kansas City in this church? Where is she? Oh, Kansas City would have been so much cooler. I'm Alyssa from Kansas City. (laughs) Two Alysses from Kansas City in one room might have been a little much. <laughs> Anyways, um, it's, it's also really neat because now I'm seeing the kids that we got to pastor are now married and having kids, and then that second wave is now getting married, and it's just so crazy how kids grow up. Um, but this it was so neat to worship with you guys. I, I actually asked the Lord... Um, do you have a, a message for them? Like a really short one because I'm not a good preacher. He does that. And, um, and it was really neat because it was just lickety-split. And he just first just said the word commitment. And, um, and this is for you as individuals and then the entire church. And I just felt that he just said, my commitment to this church and to you as an individual is really intense. <laughs> like he has a grip on you and this church like no other. His commitment to you and his faithfulness to you is really extreme and wonderful. And I just wanted to encourage you guys with this. And, oh, then then the second part was he said, because they have a passion for my presence. And I thought, whoa, that's so cool. (laughs) And, of course, I know that from when we were here. I, I know the passion for His presence is strong in this place, but that was really neat that he wanted to highlight because of your passion for his presence. He is totally 100% committed to you. So, and then um, because you're passionate for his presence, then I just felt him say, so all you have to do is plant yourself just like the tree planted by you know, streams of water and just to plant yourself in his passion implant yourself with passion for the Lord, and then the fruit just starts coming and coming, and it's not at a strife and work, and I know sometimes it's tempting for us just to go ahead and pick up those tools and just to bust through and try to do it ourselves, and I just felt the Lord say, gosh, you guys have passion for my presence, so you can relax. You can enjoy and watch me, watch what I do in your life, in your life, in your life, in the church as a body. So be encouraged. God is here and He is faithful and He is so stinking committed to you guys. I got a chance to feel just a smidgen of His commitment for you and it blew me away. So thank you all for having us here.
1: Um, Judy, you want to say anything? Ronnie, you want to say anything? No? That's hot. Um, so leaving Living Stones and going back to our hometown was, um, a little bit scary and very exciting. Um, but just believed that the Lord is smart, right? And He's incredibly smart. And so He began just to open up doors for us. And we're in the moving truck, and as a responsible, Man, I'm asleep, and Alyssa's driving, um, and we're moving, and we're driving through the night, and we're coming back to uh, to Fairmount, and she's just praying over this next season of life and what God may have for us, and she sees the town of Fairmount as if it had arms. It, it rose up, and it just opened up its arms to us. And said that we are excited for you to come home. Welcome home. We celebrate your return. And we've had nothing but open doors and open arms um, in that. And, and just, I'll tell you, just a, a moment of the Lord's favor is so much more so than you just trying to grind and beat your head against the wall. And so what we have done is we've really operated from a place of rest and just believe that the Lord will build his house. I don't know, maybe I'm the crazy one, but the Lord will build his house. And if you were trying to labor, we're laboring in vain, um, because he, he can do it, and he's really good, and he's really smart at those things. And so he's just opened up these doors. We got this little Quaker church. We call it our geriatric congregation. Um, we got this, I mean, they're just a bunch of older people. Uh, the average age is deceased, and uh, we just get to come in and, and just love on them. And uh, it's, it's a church that was founded in 1851. Um, they've been around, and some of them are still there. The founders are still there. Um, we're talking 80 and 90 year olds. Henry Wayne, he's about to turn 100 years old in October. It's unbelievable, um, what we're dealing with. But I'll tell you, you want to know the purpose and the passion and the meaning of life. You get around some of those people and man, you start getting perspective real quick. When you see regret in someone's eyes or you see the, the rejoicing on the other end of someone's life. Wow. That kind of, you're able to, to lock in on what really matters. And so as much as we've given to them, we feel like we've just gotten back to where we've really been able to to soak in what life is. And so we just dove headlong into the community. And so I started uh, coaching at my high school, um, coaching basketball, uh, lead FCA and Bible studies in our school. And the, and the schools are just wide open to us. What do you want to do? What Bible studies do you want to have? What classrooms do you want open? Can we give food to you? Can we open up the—yeah, it's unbelievable. We have we have prayer going on in the locker room. We have prayer uh, in the gym before games start. A student will walk up, grab the microphone, and say, God, we just honor you in this place, and all things are for your glory. And so even as we go into this game tonight, we just pray that your presence would be here. Is that crazy? We just thank you for both athletes, and we just thank you for what's going on, but in all things, God, that you would get the glory out of it. In Jesus' name, amen. And the crowd just erupts, and we're applauding prayer in the school. It's unbelievable. Um, we've got several of the teachers and uh, school board members that uh, go to our church. I'll tell you, it's not Mayberry, but it feels like a little piece of it. Um, there's just such a openness to things like that. Um Alyssa has a photography business there and recently we uh opened up a storefront boutique on Main Street that is there literally all of the arms have been wide open to us. And here's the other thing is in a small town you can be incredibly average and sweep up all the business. All right? So we are the definition of average. We're not awesome. We're just incredibly average. Um but there's not a ton of competition. So anyway, that's uh, one of the other things for us. Alyssa also sits on uh, Fairmount Main Street. Every small town in Indiana is represented by a main street before the state, so you can appeal for uh, different government grants and and monies and things like that for facade restoration. Um, And so she is the president of Fairmount Main Street. And we just got uh, new sidewalks, new streets paved. We're getting uh, brick-stamped concrete going across crosswalks, new light posts, hanging baskets. How many of y'all know Reformation is more than just church services? To reform or to take back, to have reformation, which I know is one of the pillars of the house here, right? To reform cultures, you've got to buy up those drug houses and put kingdom families in there. You've got to to squeeze out, right? You've got to suffocate the sin with goodness. And not just church services or prayer meetings, just being good. And bringing God, the gospel, just bringing goodness back into the community. And so we just got to be in these strategic places. Something that we learned big time here from Pastor Ron was just the, the power of influence in governmental places, whether that's town boards, whether that's school boards, whether that's whatever the civil places are, is we need to be the ones sitting at the table. We need to be the ones that are occupying those seats. And so we just said, let's do it. Let's, let's just make it happen. And so we, uh, we're just owning that whole small town thing in Fairmount, and it's been just an absolute joy, hasn't it? Yes. We're loving it. Kids, anything? You good? <laughs> you ready? All right, go get them. This is Ronnie. She's six. Judah is eight. And Nora, she is in her little class. She's three. And uh, anyway, we're just having a great time. So, All right. Thanks, guys, for coming up here. Um, man, I'll tell you, it has been seven and a half years since I've stood on this stage. Um, and it's pretty awesome and humbling to, uh, to come back to the house. It's a special thing. Um, and how many of you all know, whenever you've had something for so long, it just kind of loses its specialness, because it's no longer special, it's actually normal. Um, for me, this is special. Because this isn't normal to be here, and so I'm just, I'm just feeling that piece of it. I love seeing Andy, the Iron Man Andy. I love seeing 3G sitting back there. I love seeing Hannah over here, and she's, got, she's just pumping out the estrogen in her family. <laughs> saw Noah earlier. I'm like, Noah, are you like seven? He's like, 14. I'm like, what the hell in the world does that stuff happen? I guess it happens, it's just called aging, but anyway, um, big couple months here in the church, right, with the the shifting from the founder um, to the son, and uh, not that it wasn't already in process, but it's in its fullness now. Um, we were up here for Pastor Senior's funeral, and uh I could have just sat for the rest of the day and just heard the stories of that man. And uh, and Beth, she's a rock star. Speaking about her dad, and in one moment you're you're laughing, and another moment you're crying. And and she's talking about my dad, who's the coach, and you know for everybody else he's their pastor or their mentor or he's the leader of the Wolverines or he's. But for me, I get to call him dad. And to have a legacy of grandkids. Standing around, that's just rare. That's just a treasure. Um, and there's still a piece of the founding of the membership here. in Miss Carol. And... How many of y'all love that woman? You know what this place does more than about anywhere that i've seen is that the culture of honor is pretty high level and um just to be able to honor the mama and uh and the first lady is is it's an honor for us let's not let's not get this wrong let's not get this backwards' it's not just about her it's an honor for us to serve her and to esteem her and and you just don't understand the kickback you don't understand what honor opens back to your own life you don't understand the doors that happen in your own life because honor is just not just being nice or serving honor is supernatural and it has the way to kick open doors that no man can shut it does something very supernatural in the exchange of relationship not just serving one man to another man it's actually serving one person as if you're serving the lord i mean we've got to transcend right so it's not just ego stuff, it's not just flesh stuff. We're transcending and we're serving the Lord as we serve the flesh here on the earth and it's fleshed out in people. And, and man, does she need to be honored in this place and taken care of in this place. And I just know the, the amount of, of love and of prayer that you've had over me in my life and I'm just so grateful for you. Thank you. Also, I lived in Pastor Ron's basement. Yeah, you can laugh. It's a funny story. I lived there for about five years. I moved up here when I was a teenager. I was 19 years old, 35 now. My wife's 38, but she looks awesome. Um, But she is older. 35. At 19 years old, I moved up here, and I was going to Taylor University, but just frustrated. I was like, man, I'm learning youth ministry from a bunch of guys that aren't doing youth ministry. I want to do the stuff. I want to just not learn from books. I want to learn in life. And so Pastor Ron had just started this program called G2, Generation to Generation. And he's having young people live in their, in their homes and different pastors were taking young people in. They were teaching them how to, how to pray, how to lead, how to preach, how to read the Bible, how to, how to just do life well as you're serving others. And so I called him up and said, Pastor Ron, can I, can I do this thing? And he says, I have six kids and you can live in my basement. I said, let's do it. He then went on to have two more kids while I was living there. He's a bad boy. Eight kids, two adults, a weird college student, and a dog. And they all played instruments, including the dog. And there's drums, and there's guitars, and there's pianos, and the phones ringing, and there's diapers being changed, and it was just unbelievable. I was like, "What kind of a college experience am I getting right now?" It was just unbelievable. But I'll tell you, it was the best college experience because just getting institutionalized is not the game. Being fathered is the game, and being raised up as a man of God is where it's at. And so, what I when I when I punted the whole college experience and said, yes, I'll go into intense discipleship and be rooted and grounded in sonship and being a son of the house and to serve others. We actually printed uh, sweatshirts and sweatpants for our college experience and on the butt of the pants it said, die, 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 on the bottom of the pants because we were just laying our life down in service. But I'll tell you, whenever, whenever I, I chose to punt the system and to say, I'm going to come into sonship, that was the game changer in my life. And I got to, to learn from this man, not just in pulpit settings and not just in, in church settings, but at his kitchen table over chips and salsa, right, eating and watching how does he respond to his wife, how does he raise up his kids, how does he handle these situations, and so was able to learn so much from him and that experience. And Pastor Ron and Mary, I am so grateful because so much of who I am and what I'm doing today has been shaped at 909 and 7-Eleven. And I'm so grateful for this place, and I'm so grateful to see just what God's doing in my life because of what has happened here. How many of youth were around, or college, you were either in, in high school or college during that time when Alyssa and I were here? Anybody here? There's a couple of, a yeah, couple of you back there. Um, one of the things that I loved was the intensity of the presence that we got after when we were at the cause. And so now we're in a different setting. We're in a small town Quaker church where we enjoy the quiet. We enjoy the soft. We enjoy presence, but in a different way. But I remember just right back here in this youth room that we would snot on that carpet and snot on those chairs. Somebody, whenever y'all changed the carpet back there, cut off a piece of the carpet and mailed it to me. And I open up this this letter, and there's a piece of carpet from the youth room. Do you know how prized... I'm serious. That piece of carpet is? How many times I sucked that carpet dry? Only just to wet it all over again? Um, man, what a ride that was. I'm just so honored to have a part of that. And those chairs, those chairs, are those chairs still back there? Nobody knows, okay. <laughs> those chairs need to be cleaned. I hope they have been cleaned been a lot of tears, a lot of snot. I want one of those shares. I, that needs to be a parting gift. I need to take home one of those shares. I love it. Anyway, I did make a message for this morning. I would like to get to it at some point. It's hard to preach a message here that you haven't already heard because I usually just listen to Pastor Ron's podcast and then teach them at my church. And I'm, and I'm not joking. <laughs> pastor Ron was actually the youth pastor at the church I grew up in. And uh, whenever he left Tipton to move up back here to be with his dad in ministry, I was just coming into uh, youth ministry whenever he rolled out. And so I actually got to experience just the end of my teenage years here, him being my youth pastor. Um, and, so, and he still is a pastor in my life. I call him up. And I just say, Pastor Ron, what do you think about this? What are your thoughts on these things? And and uh, isn't it awesome to be able to become a youth again and just sit at the feet? I could listen to that man talk about anything. You know, if he wants to talk about, you know, the color of the carpet, I'm going to listen. I was like, man, tell me, what's, what's the glory of God in the color of the carpet? <laughs> anyway, but I'll tell you this, between Pastor Sr. and Pastor Ron Jr., a, a, a father's shadow was like a greenhouse for a son to grow in, and so stay close. That's it. Stay close. Get get all up in there as close as you can to that shadow, because that is a such a healthy place for sons and daughters to grow in. I love this series on life giving relationships. This has been a life giving relationship for me that I never want it to end and not just with the Johnson family but with the Livingstone's family. This place brings us so much life. And I listened to the messages this week from Andrew and and from Ronnie. I actually got to talk on to the phone on Ronnie, uh talk to the phone on Ronnie. I talked to Ronnie on the phone this week and uh, just got to connect with him and uh, and Aaron's message and Pastor Ron's message on life-giving relationships and so it's just been really, really enjoyable. Have you all enjoyed this series at all? It's been good. It's been good. Well, I'm going to jump in here, and I'm in uh, Acts chapter 16. If you're there, go to Acts chapter 16. It's also going to be up here on the board. If you're using Surrey, just say Surrey, Acts 16. Let's do this. Here's what happens is, uh, is Luke is writing this book. This is the second book from Luke, and he wrote his own gospel story of Luke, and now he's writing this, and it's Luke was really a researcher. He was a doctor sort of men- mentality as far as how he approached. And so he was he labored over how to uh, relay this truth of what was going on in the foundings of the early church. And we believe this to be somewhere around... Uh, 62 A.D., something like that, when this is all happening. So Paul and Silas, the story goes, are are moving through the land, and there's this demon-possessed girl that comes up, and she's constantly uh, uh, speaking who these guys are. And, and she's saying, these are the guys that are preaching the good news, and they're going to try to pray for you and try to heal you and do all these sorts of things, and followed them around for many days, is what this says. And it says that Paul became annoyed. How many of y'all just find some people in ministry are just annoying? Never in this place, right? But it was just annoying, and he's tired, and he's frustrated, and he's like, what in the world is going on? And so finally he just says, I've just got to deal with this once and for all. And he says, get out of her. Come out, that evil spirit, that demonic presence, and she uh, is delivered in that day. But... How many of y'all know that was making money for the owner of this of this uh, demon-possessed girl? And he saw that his market was about to shift, and so money kind of moved some people. And so he says, no, 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 this ain't gonna happen. And so they bring all the, the leaders and authorities together, and they come to Paul and Silas and say, you just can't do this. Basically, you stole my business from me because I was making money off of this girl that would go around and do palm reading, tarot card reading, and, and she was gonna basically read everybody's mail, and I'm making money off of it. And so we're gonna make false accusations about you, and then we're going to take you to, uh, to, to court, and we're going to find you guilty, and we're going to put you into prison. We're going to pick up reading here in verse, where should I start picking up reading here? Let's just go to 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Here's what I want to talk to you about this morning as far as life-giving relationships. And might I just say it this, is we need foxhole friends. Foxhole friends, those that are in the foxhole with us and those that whenever you know what hits the fan, I need to have those people with me and I need to have those people around me and praying for me and warring with me. And not just we kind of see each other on the exterior and outside and slap high fives and hug each other just softly a little bit. No, those that are in it down deep with us. And one of the things that we get trapped in, I believe, is the difference between a short lens and a long lens view of how we see life. And we need to have those people that are able to come in and help us see the difference between a short lens and a long lens in life. If Paul and Silas were were rattled by every bump in the road... Every little thing, little hiccup that came along, we just got stuck into the short lens of what is happening right now in my life. Life could be incredibly discouraging at every little bump in the road, but not seeing the long lens of where this thing is going. And we need to have people that are in it with us for the long haul, not just short little relationships that I can get whatever I can out of it because I just need it. Right, I'm working this friendship so what I can get off of it. But the long lens of the longevity of the relationship is what I love so much about here at Living Stones as well. Here's what happens. Something that has happened recently in my own life. About a year and a half ago, I got connected with um, Colonial Oaks. It's a retirement home in our area because I love old people so much. I'm hanging out at nursing homes now. And as I'm hanging out at nursing homes, I get to meet some of their staff. And as I get to meet some of their staff, we started building relationships. The staff then invited me to come to staff meetings. And they said, hey, while you're at staff meetings, would you basically be like a chaplain to our staff? Would you start leading leadership devotionals every Monday morning? Would you pray with our team? Would you basically pastor all, all of our department heads here in this nursing home? I said, that doesn't sound like God. I said, yeah, I'll do it. So I started doing this thing for about a year and a half ago. And as the thing expanded and we started doing team building, we started loving on their team, what was happening was, was turnover was so high, can you believe 71% turnover is happening here. And in, within the last year, it went to 58%. And in the last year, we're at 14%. People don't want to leave. People are saying, I want to stay. CNA work is hard work. Any CNA nurses in the house, you know what is up in that world. And so it is tough. It is hard work. And, so, and the market is just amazing right now. So I can go get a job anywhere making just as much money and not doing as hard of work. And so the, re, the turnover is so incredibly high. So we've made this culture so fun and so life giving and we love Jesus and people are staying a part of this. One of the administrators that I was talking to, I, I, had, I had met him only the second time. That I had met him and he starts sharing with me. He says, "Um, my wife and I, we had uh, twins and what happened in in this twins is is that one of the babies continued to grow and the other baby wasn't growing. And so we just kind of had to make a decision on what to do. And he kind of says it with regret in his life. And he never went on to say what had happened to that baby, but he just kind of led me to believe. And we just kind of had to make that decision. And he said, so then we just kind of rallied together and we kind of worked through that. And so then we had to, we moved on, we were going to have another baby. And what? whenever we had the, the uh, what's it called, not an x-ray? Ultrasound, thank you. Whenever we had the ultrasound done, they come to find out that they got in there and they found that there was a, a disease that the baby had. And so we just kind of wrestled back and forth. And so we just decided just to, just to end it. And so we went in and we, and we took the baby and we had an abortion asked the question, did you guys want to have a a big family or just have the, the one daughter? He's like, I just wanted to have a huge family. All I ever wanted was to have a big family. And he says, but my wife, she's so jammed up now, she will not go there and she doesn't want to have any more kids. And because they had this abortion just totally locked him up. And I'll tell you, because we get locked in on a short lens, we make decisions right now. And we make these decisions that are all about the current and all about the moment, all about my self-pleasure and all about anesthetizing the pain and all about protecting whatever and all about like Jesus is just going to give me some sort of supernatural epidural to make all of life feel amazing. It's just not like that. And so this guy needs a foxhole friend to jump in with him and say let me encourage you and let's get a long Lens vision, and let's get healed, and let's continue to plow ahead, and and let's get restored. And you're going to have an awesome family, and there is more in store for you. And you start making decisions that cut off your future. Now you need a foxhole friend to bust through and say, "There is more in store. There's more ahead. I need to get my vision rewired. I need somebody to shift my lens. I need encouragement in my soul. I just can't do this thing alone anymore. I need somebody to pop me full of encouragement. We've got to have those foxhole friends." And it only happens whenever we intentionally go deeper in relationship. Are you all with me? Just recently, I got a really cool fan mail letter. It's not, it's a hate letter. And uh, it's not all good in the hood, so don't believe, you know, that it, that it always is. But here's, here's basically what it says. I'll actually, I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you. Brock, this is coming from someone in our church. It's time you moved on after the Stroop's sob story on Sunday, August 19th, which was my wife's birthday. You were, uh, you was hired to preach. It was the worst Sunday in Fairmount Friends history that we've ever had. And by the way, take the Stroop's with you when you go. Wish they would have told me how they really felt. (laughs) Not signed, totally anonymous which is always enjoyable, right? And taking, taking a shot like that, and let me just give you a little bit of context, because to make, to make assumptions followed by accusations is the chief of foolery. You're a fool. I'm going to assume, because I don't know the story, but I'll just assume, and then I'll accuse, and then we'll make decisions based off of that. That's a good idea, right? So the Stroops come up and they share their story, and so what has been happening is they lead a, uh, a, an organization that works alongside DCS that are trying to restore and put families back together, but they're a private practice, and so they're a God-centered family, and so how many of you all know you get picked on? And so they got picked on by Big Brother, and so they're trying to silence them and squeeze their voice out, similar to what Paul and Silas are going through. And so what happens is they get spanked, but they continue to move forward. And then DCS comes in and says, we're ending your contract with no really reasons or whatever. And they're just trying to find infractions. But we know that Jesus is at the center and that they're doing amazing things. Within one year, they had billed for over $1 million. They had served 400 families. They had gone from zero employees to 40 employees. They're providing jobs. They're hustling. They're, they're making it happen in our community, restoring families. And we want to de- we, we take that away. This is a bad idea, right? Right? And so they shut him down. And so I call up Pastor Ron. I say, Pastor Ron, we got a fight on our hands. We're ready to go. We're ready to make this happen. So Pastor Ron, he calls the state house. Then we're talking to, to, to governors. And then we talk to state reps in our area. State reps get the vision. They start fighting for us. This was all happening at the end of last year whenever the DCS coordinator for Indiana resigns because they see the corruption. And so during this time of while we're fighting for it, Indiana does not have a DCS uh, director. Uh, while we're, while we're going, uh, and fighting for this thing and we're battling and I'll tell you what happens in their marriages. Their marriages is, is, is oh, it's hard and it's, and it's crumbling and we're aching and this was my baby and I'm getting shut down and just the wrestle, right? And we got Peter Heck on the phone and he's ready to unload an article on the indie on the Indy Star. I mean, we're going to fight for this thing. I mean, we're in battle. And Jake, who wasn't overly strong in the Lord, hits his knees and he has a radical encounter with Jesus. And I'm sitting across from him in a coffee shop with tears running down his eyes. He is a mess and he is crying out to the Lord. He says, I've got to change. I've got to get a hold of God. And he grabs a hold of the horns of the altar. And he says, Jesus, I've got to have a hold of you. And his wife goes the opposite direction. She says, if if God is good, then why is life so hard? And why is he taking this away from me? To to where she denounces God in her own home. And, And Jake says, hey, it's okay. God is for us. He's not against us. And she turns around. She goes, oh, yeah, God's for us. Then I don't want that God. And Jake's just crushed and he and he and he spent days just either in his car or in his shower. Those are the two places that are good places to retreat. Nobody can get in there. And so he's in his car or shower, and it just became this this altar and this this prayer room, this war room, and to where he would just cry out to the Lord, to where we would see a transformation in his life and in his heart. Slowly, her heart starts coming back to to the Lord. They were about to to see, should we go in separate ways? And they're now restored, and their marriage is awesome. And I call them up onto the stage to share their story with our church family. It should have been a family moment where we're wrestling for faith, and we're fighting for faith. And it's just not a cute message. This is what it looks like fleshed out when we're in the foxhole together. This is what it looks like when we're fighting a good fight of faith, believing that we're restoring families. That's one of y'all's pillars, is the restoration of families, right? The renewing of government and the the reformation of our communities and the restoring of, of Christ's righteousness and the culture of the kingdom, right? These are the pillars of living stones and we're fighting for them. And we have them come up and share their story. And one of our family members says, you need to leave. We don't want that sob story. It's time for you to go. I'm driving in my car. And isn't it cool that I got Pastor on to call? That's just so cool. That's, that's cool. That is cool that I've got that guy in my corner. I'm driving home, and Alyssa gets this letter, and she says, Hey, I don't know what I should do with this. I, I kind of saw this. I don't know if I should protect you or read it to you. or yeah. I'm just like, just go for it. What is it? She reads this thing to me, and I oh, know I did nothing wrong, but it still doesn't feel awesome. Uh, some I mean, of y'all just had that. You're like, I just feel, uh, I don't even know what to do. And my foxhole friend unloads this prayer over the phone, and she brings the fire from heaven. Jesus, we just pray for this, and I pray that you would renew his mind. And as we renew our minds, we transform our lives. And Jesus, we pray for transformation, that you would hit his heart. I'll tell you, the ghost came into the car right then and hit me and just shifted the atmosphere. And I go from feeling like a a bummer to an overcomer real quick. And the presence come into that place and start washing my mind, renewing my heart, restoring my soul, and saying, you know what? hopefully we find out who this is because I want to love them. I want to go intentionally to encourage them and say, we want you a part of the family. You're you're killing us with friendly fire. I know we're on the same team. Why are we taking shots at each other? I don't want you to be shooting at me in the foxhole. I need you to be defending me in the foxhole and warring for marriages and warring for the restoration of homes in the foxhole together. We've got to have relationships that bring life Life-giving and not critiquing one another because as a consumer, I, I consumed that church service and eh, it just wasn't for me. Eh, I didn't get enough out. Of, I, we hired you to do something else. Not restore families and then have them share about it. <laughs> we don't want that. We want you to be a puppet up on the stage. Entertain us. Give us your little three points in a poem. Because we want to go back to our cute little small town and eat our fried chicken and be safe. It's like the Roosevelt quote. It's like, keep, keep the scaredy cats and the critics away. Because you have no idea what it's like to be bloodied and martyred in the arena of the fight. Right? You don't know victory or defeat. You don't understand the honor of the battle. And then you're going to take shots. I need a foxhole friend at that moment. And I'll tell you, man, whenever your foxhole friend can release the ghost on your life and you get a fresh dose of the ghost comes all over you, oh, Jesus, it was amazing. I had an hour drive ahead of me, and I just soaked in the presence because someone unloaded it and released the kingdom presence over my life. He goes on here in verse 20. He brought them before the magistrates and he said, these men are Jews and they're throwing, uh, they're throwing our city in an uproar by advocating the customs that are unlawful for us and the Romans to accept and to practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates, and they ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prisons in the jailer, and they commanded them to guard them carefully. And when they received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Point number two is do we ever live with entitled expectations? in life do you ever have entitled expectations you realize that paul and silas didn't have an entitled expectation that life should just always be good it should just always be good in the hood it should always just be easy for me how many of y'all know in america today we give away eighth place trophies because we don't want our kids to cry and so then they grow up thinking i'm a winner no you're a loser you haven't won you didn't win But if I continue to lose, I continue to get celebrated I'm still a winner. No, you're not. You're entitled. You haven't done anything and you just sit back on your laurels and we hand you trophies for that stuff. You didn't practice. You didn't get dirt on the uniform. You didn't get a hit all year. And I'm not just picking on bad kids. I'm telling you the story of my own son. (laughs) Isn't that right, Judah babes? He's awesome at many things. Baseball's not one of them. It's the last game of the season, and we're just praying, Jesus, can you have some sort of divine intervention here? He had not got a hit all season. It's the last game of the season. And all of of our moms and dads and fans, people know it. It's the last game of the season. And he hits the ball. And he hits it right past in between kind of the the pitcher and the and the second baseman, and he beats the throw to first base. Well, then they're they're looking around trying to get other you know batters out because it's crazy because it's coach's pitch, and they overthrow to second base. I'm I'm the I'm the dad helper. I'm on third base. Judah, come on, go to second base. And so he's coming to second base. Get in here, get to third base. Come on, man. And so he's coming to third base, and they overthrow third base. I'm like, score! Go, we gotta get this kid home score, and the guy comes, and he picks up the ball, and he's throwing it to home, and just as they catch the ball, and they go to make the tag, Judah crosses home plate, yeah, he scored, as soon as he hits home plate, he turns around, runs right back down the third baseline, into my arms, and I catch him, and we're like dancing around, it's like his birthday and Christmas, all wrapped in one, it was a moment, we celebrated once that year, We were bad. We were terrible. He got a trophy for that. It was a terrible idea, but he got a trophy. <laughs> but here's the deal. is When we live with this idea of having entitled expectations, I should have had a good life, and so why did I get handed this? And why is this my, the hand that was dealt to me? And I'm a Christian, so it should all, always be easy. It should always all be all good in the hood. I shouldn't be accused. I shouldn't have to go through it. I shouldn't have to write. Just the other, can you imagine this? Let's just picture this. Let's say that we take our kids to King's Island. Or you might not know that. What is it? Six Flags, something like that. Go to Six Flags. And we buy the tickets and we ride every ride and we go on every roller coaster and we buy all the shirts and the hot dogs and all this sort of stuff, right? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. And you should leave with joy. But whenever you leave, hey, Dad, we have cotton candy. No, we're not going to have cotton candy. And we leave Crying. Why? Because I should have got everything. And here's what's going on in life. Is how can I switch the script to where I can say, you know what? I need a larger perspective. Because if I ever whine and groan and complain in life, I just lack perspective. You all realize that you're in the greatest place in the world right now? Like, you get to come here. Like, what, what is going on? And you didn't get cotton candy. And so that's the bummer. And we dwell on the bombers, and we dwell on these places where I got ripped off. And we need people to come in and say, Hey, let's not dwell on all the places where you got ripped off. There's a bigger vision. We've got to go. We've got to set our eyes. We've got to fix our eyes on something bigger and on something better that Jesus would have for us. In verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns. Isn't that good? Hey, life is hard, so let's sing. We just got thrown in prison, so let's rejoice. They're singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners around them are listening because whenever you don't complain and you go to worship, people take notice. They're like, what? You don't want to whine and complain about this? Are you sure you don't want to hop on Facebook right now and treat it as your psychiatrist and just start sharing all this stuff in your life and just going on like that? Like, hey, it's easy. It's, it's free, right? And trust me, all of your followers love it. That's uh, awesome. So verse 25, they are singing, and other people take notice what the message is. Suddenly... There's such a violent earthquake, and the foundations and the prisons were shaken, and at once the prison doors busted open. Everyone's chains were loose. Because your worship is more than just what you're going through. It's about all those around that are watching the game. It's all of those that are peeking into your life, seeing how's he going to maneuver through this? How's he going to handle? How's he going to work through the offense and continue to love and to serve and to lay his life down? Wow, that's freeing me. It's bringing freedom even to my own spirit. The last point here is gratitude is the game. Gratitude is how we have to combat everything in life. So the jailer, he wakes up, and when he saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword, and he was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped. And Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're here, and the jailer is trembling, and he falls down. He calls for the lights, right? Right? And he brought them, and he asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, Believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others that were in his house. At that hour of the night, it's been a long day, hasn't it? It's, been a, it's, still, it's still that day. It's been a long day. It's been a long life. It's been a long month. It's been a long marriage. It's been a long time raising those kids. It's been a long time with that boss. It's been a long time with those co-workers. There's been a lot of accusations. There's been a lot of it. 33, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, and then he washed their wounds. God flipped the script that the enemy begins to become the servant. Then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. You accuse me, I bring redemption to you. The jailer brought them out into his house, and he set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come and he had believed in God. He and his whole household, And when it was daylight, the magistrates, they sent the officers to the jailer, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates, they've released you. You now go in peace. And Paul said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh-uh. Nah. No, 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 no. Paul said to the officers, wait a minute. They beat us publicly without a trial. And even though we are Roman citizens, and they threw us into prison, and now they want to get rid of us quietly? They want to sneak us out the side door? No! Let them come themselves, and, ha- and they will escort us out of here. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they had heard what Paul and Silas had said, and they were Roman citizens, they wet their loincloths. And they came to appease them, and they escorted them. How about this? Those that accuse begin to appease. How can I please? And they are backpedaling. Hey, vengeance is the Lord's, y'all. Come on, it's not ours. Just love. You have one duty, and it's just the love. Just to encourage, just to bring life. The Lord will get it. He's got it for you. They came to appease them. They escorted them out of the prison and they requested them to leave the city. And Paul and Silas, they came out of prison. They went to Lydia's house. But check this. It's where they met their brothers and they met with their sisters and encouraged them. And then they left. Don't leave without the encouragement. Don't leave just licking the wounds and just keep moving forward. For some of you, just had one big inhale in life. <sighs> I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I just got to make it happen. I has got to do whatever it takes. Here's the deal is don't leave without having those around you that are speaking life, that are going to bring encouragement, that are going to encourage your heart and lift your head saying, come on, baby, run, baby, run. You can do it. You've got what it takes. Recently, there was a pretty big tragedy that happened in our family. My brother-in-law is. Driving in Kansas City, and he's taking his three kids to school. And as he's driving, there's another lane of traffic that's getting ready to turn left. Well, one guy doesn't want to wait anymore. So he pulls out, and he's going to go around the traffic just as Jason is pulling up. The car pulls in, hits Jason, goes across traffic straight into a metal telephone pole, light pole. Jason goes through the windshield. Caden, his son, who's sitting next to him, goes into the to the dashboard, breaks, breaks his arm. Two daughters in the back seat. Elise, who was eight. Hope, who was five at the time. Both of them, with such impact, go forward and had such severe whiplash that they broke their necks and Elise's face went into the back of the headrest, completely smashing her face, her neck. And also Hope broke her back. Elise died at the scene. She was eight. Hope is now paralyzed from the waist down, all of her bowels, her legs, feet. She is paralyzed in her hands and fingers. Um, but she lived. And this girl, the perspective, she doesn't have short short lens perspective. She's got a long lens perspective, and she's five. She doesn't feel like she's entitled to anything else. This is the hand that I was dealt. And she's got foxhole friends around her that are challenging and contending for gratitude. To be grateful in the midst of suffering. Can I show you a video of hope? Can we check in on what's going on with hope here? Let's see this. Ladies
2: and gentlemen, boys and girls the princess of Kansas City's inner city and the metro area's overwhelming conqueror of difficult situations. The one, the only, Hope Johns, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, here she approaches her stage, the wheelchair ramp of our inner city church. She is amazing. Hello, Hope Johns. Yes. Today I'm going to be singing the National Anthem. Today I bring joy and spring to my favorite life. And I will sing all my favorite life to me. And I... My favorite song. This will be my favorite light to be my heart. And I will sing my favorite song to be my favorite praise. I will sing my favorite song to be my favorite song. So I will sing my favorite songs to my favorite king. Hey, bravo! That was amazing. Take a bow. Yes, and now she exits from her wheelchair stage. Yes.
1: That's the punchline. That's it right there. I don't know how to complain after that. Tell me, what do you got going on in life that you can complain about right now? I don't know how it gets heavier than death and paralyzed. And they got both of them. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sing our favorite song to our king. So what she's going to do. We're just going to sing our favorite song to our king. Paul and Silas, what are you going to do? I think we're just going to sing our favorite song to our king. We're just going to sing. We're just going to worship. Yeah, but life is hard and, and, and this and that. And what are you going to do? I never see Paul and Silas complain. Never. I never see him pointing fingers. Oh, my life is hard because because my mom, well, if my brother would have, it's Trump's fault. It's everybody else's fault. No. No, it's not. What happened in that accident was not Jason's fault. But what happens with his family is his responsibility. There's a huge difference between fault and responsibility. Maybe what happened in your life, maybe it wasn't your fault. But you're responsible for your life right now, and you got to get people around you. You got to get some foxhole friends. You got to start encouraging others. You got to start bringing life. You got to start singing a song. And rather than pointing the finger and accusing everybody else, and I don't like this, and I should have got that, no, stop it. Get your face in the in front of the throne of God and say, Jesus, this is where I get my joy. Not down here. I don't get my emotions from here. I transcend and I fix my eyes on the author. He's the one writing the story. And the finisher, he's the one that's going to close the deal. And here's the deal. The story isn't finished yet. So don't give up mid-story. Don't walk out in the middle of your story. Jesus isn't done with your story. And here's the deal. Even what has been taken away from you, if you can't bow with your waist, you bow with your head. If you can't walk with your legs, you just do circles in your wheelchair. You do whatever it takes to bring glory to God in your situation because He is not limited to your situation. He transcends, He overrides, He overwhelms all of our situations to where He gets every ounce of glory squeezed out of your life. We're in the foxhole, friends, and we've got to rally around one another and encourage each other and say, in the midst of it all, I will keep my eyes fixed on the hill. Where does my help come from? comes from the Lord. And a day in the presence is better than a thousand days elsewhere. And so I sit and I fix my gaze. And all of the critics get really quiet in the presence. Because in that place I find joy. And in that place I find hope. And in that place I find my peace and my rest. And I come from a place of rest. Not worry, not anxiety. I'm not losing it. I come from a place of knowing who I am. Because of who he says I am and the friends that I have in my life that are speaking that life into me. Would you all stand with me this morning as we close? Jesus, I thank you for this place that has been a constant friend to me. I thank you for Pastor Ron, who has told me many times that I am personally committed to your personal success. Y'all, you've got to get yourself surrounded. Do not isolate yourself. Do not get offended. Do not let your heart go there wrestle and fight for your freedom. Stay in a place in the presence of the Lord and in encouraging friends around you saying, Jesus, I've got to have a breakthrough. I've got to have relationships that can pop me through. Even when life is hard, God, you are good. And our hope is anchored in your goodness and in your faithfulness. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.